Today's reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long.
Please be seated. Gosh, why don't we sing that hymn more often? What a fun, it's like old-fashioned campfire song. I did choose it, yes. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much. That was so beautiful. And it, I, I can really understand why Eva loves that music. There's nothing sentimental about it. There's no, I mean, and, and that's, it's just, and we'll I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Eva has lived a tough life. She has seen some really tough things, yet she loves music. And I can understand why, like, there's no schmaltz in Bartok. But there's life and vibrancy, and I, I, it's, it's so in keeping with, what I, with what's on my mind this morning, because um, a couple of things got me to where I decided to preach on the 23rd Psalm. Firstly, the week after Easter, which is usually Doubting Thomas Sunday, um, and I'm a smart aleck, and so I like Doubting Thomas Sunday, and I think people would like me to be a little less of a smart aleck sometimes. But Rick preached on Jesus coming to the disciples after the crucifixion and saying, peace be with you. And I could feel this congregation's response to Rick's very simple message, peace be with you. As a congregation that is so dedicated to seeking peace through justice, I think we choose generously to subject ourselves to controversy, to conflict, to things that are uncomfortable and good for us. The world needs more Christians, more people of faith, more people outside of the faith communities to dedicate themselves to the seeking of justice through peace. But what it means, I think, is that sometimes we perhaps unknowingly forfeit the chance to really just enjoy the peace of Christ. And whereas Lent is a season of looking in ourselves and asking as we prepare for Easter, what are the things that I want to clear away? What space might I create by letting go of something? And I think we then enter the Easter season, and I'd like to do this today, and that is talk about now that we've cleared that space, what do we bring with us into the present moment? What things will we carry with us in the present and into the future that will inspire us, nourish us, and like the 23rd Psalm so often does, comfort us? And then I realized, I'm preaching on the 23rd Psalm. That's like the number one scripture. It's like if, if Fox TV, if Fox Channel did like a reality show where every, every Sunday a scripture was eliminated, 
And at the end of the season, like American Idol scripture, it would be the 23rd Psalm. That would, it's the Psalm that so many people know. And I thought, you know, it's this week, um, I, don't, I bet I've never said the name Kobe Bryant from the pulpit before. <laughs> But apparently, and I had no idea this was coming, apparently it was his last game this week, right? Like, at one, we're at work, Yvette and I work together downtown, and one day at work, um, Yvette turns to me uh, and says, you know, it's Kobe's last game tomorrow, we should either not come in or we should leave early, because downtown is going to be crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, I, I, I didn't even know the Clippers were playing. <laughs> What? <laughs> but I do know the New York Times. And the New York Times had an article about Kobe's last game. Apparently, some people say it didn't go so well. The title of the New York Times article, Kobe Bryant's Finale, A Triumph of Volume Over Value. Apparently, it took Kobe 50 shots to get 60 points. Do you know how many shots it would take me to get 60 points? <laughs> but the article said this, in a league becoming increasingly obsessed with efficiency, Bryant was a throwback in the truest sense of the word. To him, more was always more. And he gave the basketball world one last glimpse of a profligate style of play that is very likely headed toward extinction. I apologize if you're a big Kobe fan. I, I think he's good, right? I mean, but the New York Times had some criticism. But what I thought about when I read that, because at first I was saying, I'm thinking of the scriptures like this. I'm preaching on the Kobe Bryant of scriptures, and then I found that. And I realized, no, that is an interesting analogy for today. Let's not let the volume of Psalm 23 overtake its value. We hear it all the time. We probably hear it in our own minds all the time. But maybe there's more value there than our familiarity informs us of. As we know, there are different types of psalms. Psalm 23, obviously, coming from the book of 150 psalms from the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, and Psalm 23 is in the category of a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, it's a subcategory of psalm of thanksgiving. It's a song of trust. Uh, they have two things in common, songs of trust from the psalms. There is some perceived calamity that the psalmist is talking about, some disaster that the psalmist says will pass, and after it passes, all will be well. Scholars often note that in these songs of trust, it is the very crisis that instigates the psalmist to cry out in trust. I wanted to check my facts and make sure that I was getting correct the category of what Psalm 23 is, and so I began to type into my browser what type of, and I was going to write psalm, and I saw it start to pre-populate, you know how Search engines will give you ideas. The, I guess these are popular searches. 
when I typed in what type of, what I got was diabetes, skin cancer, arthritis, volcanoes, and bullying. We do live in a time of crisis. I also saw what type of clouds. That was my one ray of hope. Somebody wants to know clouds. So why has Psalm 23 become the Kobe Bryant of scriptures? Why is it probably the most known scripture, at least in the Hebrew Testament? Uh, Interestingly, the popularity of Psalm 23 in Christianity can be traced in part to a 19th century preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, who in 1858 described Psalm 23 as the nightingale of psalms, which triggered an increase in its popularity. Louisa May Alcott then referred to it in her book Little Women. And by 1916, Psalm 23 had become a part of the standard funeral liturgy for the Methodist Church. I think that's why we began to see it so present in funerals and memorial services. Surely, a lot of Psalm 23's popularity is due to its very hopeful King James ending about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. In this morning's version, we hear a bit of a different translation, I think one that's perhaps a little more accurate, about dwelling in the house of the Lord for all our days. I like that in particular because of its immediacy. We talk a lot about that here about our theology being one of partnering with God to co-create a world here and now that is as beautiful and just and peaceful as possible and leaving whatever is next to take care of itself. I think it's also helpful that Psalm 23 is short, easy to memorize, poetic, but calming. I've spoken before about a time in my life where I jokingly say God and I decided to see other people. (laughs) And I realize I kind of throw God under the bus a little bit in that joke because God didn't depart from me. I departed from God a bit. I was struggling growing up in a faith community that did not embrace lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. As a matter of fact, at a certain point, my church began... Uh, silencing priesthood who were openly LGBT. I decided I needed to seek other shores, I guess. And shortly after that, I don't think that it was coordinated, but shortly after that I I went through a pretty uh, rough period, a period where I was needing to seek spiritual peace, I was worried about my job, I was worried about finances, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, as perhaps some of you do, filled with worry, my mind racing, and I couldn't get back to sleep. But what torture that can be, laying in bed, so needing some rest, and your mind won't cooperate. And so I would try to say the 23rd Psalm. Words that I knew, words that brought comfort and peace. 
And then I would feel guilty. I would feel, I've left my faith community. Am I being a hypocrite by using the 23rd Psalm in the middle of the night to seek peace? And of course I wasn't. Just like we all have the right to preach on the 23rd Psalm, we all, wherever we are on our spiritual journey, have the right to use any portion of the scriptures for comfort and for guidance. There's an intimacy to Psalm 23. It's just you and Yahweh. We talk a lot about community here, and at first that troubled me. As I read over and over the psalm getting ready for this morning, I thought, wow, it's very solitary. Now, it's relational in terms of the individual's relationship, the psalmist's relationship with Yahweh, but where is community? It's maybe a me and Jesus mentality. I don't like that. We'll come back to it. John O'Donohue, who I've also quoted before, is a favorite of mine. He's a Celtic poet and theologian. He's beloved for his book Anamkara, which is Celtic for soul friend. It immediately became an international bestseller 20 years ago or so when he released it. He's known for his insistence on beauty as being a profound component to God's nature and a calling for us. I've quoted him before. I love his theology. In 2007, he gave an interview to Krista Tippett, another person that I really love, who at that time had a show on, a show on NPR called Speaking of Faith. It's now called On Being. It would sadly be one of the last interviews John O'Donohue gave. He died in his sleep at the age of 52, even before Krista Tippett could release her podcast of her interview. But in that interview, John O'Donohue says this, My old friend Meister Eckhart, 14th century German mystic, said, There is a place in the soul that neither time nor space nor no created thing can touch. And I really, this is John still talking, and I really thought that was amazing. And if you cash it out, what it means is that your identity is not equivalent to your biography. There is a place in you where you have never been wounded, where there's still a sureness in you, where there's a seamlessness in you and where there is a confidence and tranquility in you. And I think the intention of prayer and spirituality and love is now and again to visit that inner kind of sanctuary. For me, the 23rd Psalm, its beautiful poetry, its imagery of still pools and lush green meadows takes me back to that inner sanctuary of wholeness. Paul Nancaro, a process thinker, said this psalm is full of images of the sustaining environment provided by the Lord as shepherd. Green pastures, still waters, right pathways, spread tables, overflowing cups, 
the house of the Lord. The presence of God's love is so powerfully felt that it transforms even hostile or threatening environments. The valley of the shadow of death, the presence of those who trouble me are seen as only finite regions themselves taken up and redirected into the infinite horizon of divine loving kindness. The psalm portrays God's shepherding as the environment, the milieu, in which the psalmist's own experiences are harbored and allowed to take shape so that the psalmist is nourished, sustained, and empowered to serve God's aims of goodness and mercy, not only for the psalmist's self, but for all who dwell in the Lord's household. There's the community. The psalm takes us all into itself, guides us, never stationary. The psalmist is moving in Psalm 23 from the drink of still pools to the food of green pastures and the protection of straight pathways. The psalm reminds the readers of the beauties of living life in the here and now even amid the usual darkness that can accompany day-to-day life. I discovered as I read the scripture and various commentaries about it that there are even other translations that perhaps we're not familiar with. One that intrigued me the most is that the phrase, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, can also be translated into only goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Some translators have chosen follow instead of pursue because in other places in the scripture, pursue is used as a signal of the presence of an enemy. I like the thought of being pursued by God's goodness. Sometimes I choose to turn away from it. I choose to see other people. God doesn't. God pursues me through the landscape of this psalm, through the landscape of beauty, through the landscape of my personal relationship, through the meadows and across still pools. I think of the meadows. I think of the Ingalls children running down the hills in the opening scenes of Little House on the Prairie. I think of the campground where I went as a young man the meadow between the cabins that seemed peaceful and still. I would wake up in the morning and look through the screen door of the cabin at the dew on the grass of this meadow, the smell. What a lovely thing it is to be at peace, to be calm. Made me think oddly of keep calm and carry on. Have you all seen that poster, the British? It's kind of become a meme. Um, It comes from World War II, believe it or not. The Ministry of Information was formed by the British government as the department responsible for publicity and propaganda during the Second World War. In late 1938, 39, rather, after the outbreak of the war, the Ministry of Information was appointed by the British government to design a number of morale-boosting posters that would be displayed across the British Isles during the testing times that surely lay ahead. 
With a bold colored background, the posters were required to be similar in style and feature the imperial crown of King George VI. There were three posters created. The first one read, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. And the second one, freedom is in peril. They were produced by His Majesty's stationary office and posted in many public places. The third poster was set very straightforward and to the point like the first two. It simply read, keep calm and carry on. The plan for that poster was to issue it only if Britain was invaded by Germany. Of course, that never happened and so the posters were never used. It was believed that most of the Keep Calm posters were destroyed and reduced to pulp by the end of 1945, but 60 years later, a bookseller discovered a couple of them stacked among some of the rubbish and discarded books in his office, and 15 more were shortly after discovered on the BBC's Antiques Roadshow. Sadly, no record remains of the civil servant who originally came up with the simple and quintessential Britishness of keep calm and carry on. But it is interesting to think that that phrase still resonates with people so many years later. And of course, as we do with so many things, we've commercialized it. It was used at the royal wedding of Kate Middleton and Prince William. It has appeared in Mario Brothers video games. It's been rebranded with SpongeBob SquarePants. It's been changed to keep calm and have a cupcake. Don't panic and fake a British accent. Keep calm and call Batman. Keep calm and celebrate was placed on the bottles of Spitfire Ale by the Shepherd Neem Brewery designated to commemorate the Battle of Britain. But it does speak to me, as the 23rd Psalm does. It's calming. I think that's the beauty of the 23rd Psalm. We can memorize it. We can refer to it. We can return to it again and again for what it symbolizes. Internal peace. Keep calm and carry on. As I said earlier, I'm amazed that my dear friend Eva can carry on. She continues to surprise me. It was only a couple of months ago that she began a story. Have I ever told you about the only time I saw Hitler in person? No, Eva. I've never heard that story. How does a person who has seen the atrocities of the Holocaust read the New York Times. How does one get dressed up and go to Disney Concert Hall to hear Bartok? The mind, the spirit, is a very incredible thing. We are resilient people. As I prepared last year, to preach the Easter sermon here. 
I sat at home in my living room, in the house by myself. I put my Bose headphones on, and I listened to Bartok. I listened to his concert, is it his concert for orchestra? Did I get that right? It's a very famous Bartok composition, and it's Eva's favorite. I bet I listened to it four times over the course of the evening, and it's not short. It's beautiful. It's rollicking like some of the music we heard today. It filled me with energy, with my loving memories of Eva, how much I look forward to seeing her. Even though my sermon focused largely on my experiences in South Africa and what I had seen there in the remnants of apartheid, maybe appropriately so, I felt her resilience. Her mother's name was Barbara Gutman. I've written it so many times. As I filled out paperwork to help her apply for reparations from the German government, which now arrive quarterly, as I have helped her fill out financial documents and paperwork, what's your mother's maiden name? Gutmann. <laughs> Barbara Gutmann. Barbara Gutmann had 12 siblings. She was the only one to move to Budapest. The others stayed in the southern Bulgaria town where they married and had families. Eva tells me of the heartbreaking story of the day when all 75 of them were rounded up, put on a single train, and delivered to Auschwitz. She doesn't know exactly what happened from there. But given that she never saw or heard from any of them again, we know. She assumes that most of them were horribly marched directly from the train to what they assumed were showers, where they would never leave. She tells me stories of how they were asked to remove jewelry and eyeglasses and shoes, give up purses and jackets, thinking they would retrieve them momentarily. I have stood amidst these very items when I visited Auschwitz, in the place where they were removed and are now piled in testament to the horrors done to Jews and gypsies and queers. They reek of memories and hope. Eva tells me these stories while her dog barks at the mail carrier and a caregiver boils sausage on the stove. She feeds me chocolates and asks every time I see her about her dear friends at Brea. How is Sharon Everly, the one who called me? How is Bill, who gave me the book and wrote the poem? She tells me her stories while repairs are being done to the driveway and while people are coming and going, giving her yoga, cooking her meals, tending to the garden. She tells me of atrocities and of strength. And then she puts makeup on and an elegant St. John Knits skirt suit and goes to the Disney Concert Hall to listen to the Los Angeles Philharmonic play Bartok. How can the heart who knows horrible tragedy still perceive the beauty of music? Actually, how can it not? John O'Donohue said, 
I always think that music is what language would love to be if it could. You lead me beside still waters. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You restore my soul. Indeed, the God of love does restore our souls and our indefatigable spirits. Every moment, God restores us. Souls that survive loss and infidelity, poverty and hunger and abuse. We are a strong people. God works in every moment, in every breath. The violinist pulls her bow across the G-string one more time. Parent and child embrace. Strangers adopt one another to become family. You, God, walk amidst the morning dew in Eden, asking, why do you hide from me? Put down your shame and fear. Walk out of the valley of the shadow of death into the bright, buttery sun of transformed life. The God of peace is with you and within you, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord for all your days. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Shepherding God, you do indeed lead us, but not into complacent pastures outside of relation or beside still waters stilled by unilateral power. Instead, you restore us to calm in the beauty of nature and invite us to attend your table of generous communion shared with all, even those whom we perceive as different. The valley of the shadow of death is our creation, fashioned by light cast from our own want, desires that are stilled when we enter into your presence of abundance and justice. You free us from desire, not by meeting the needs we believe we have, but by challenging and setting right our belief in what truly is needed inside your realm. Loving one, your name's sake is compassion, 
Your rod is truth and your staff is peace. You anoint our heads with wisdom and our cups overflow with life made anew, minds made calm, hearts beating with your universal pulse, pounding out the relentless call that will enliven all our days, goodness that pursues us until we find ourselves home once again in the divine family of all. Truly, we shall dwell in the house of love forever. We pray this morning as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And our benediction today is from John O'Donohue. It's a poem that he wrote for his mother when his father passed away, and it is entitled Benacht, which is Celtic for blessing. And in it, he uses the word kurach, which is a canvas canoe. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the kurach of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. We depart this place in peace. Amen. <laughs>